Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, Hello, everybody, and welcome to the extended free preview for this What a Cartoon Movie episode all about Shrek. And I am one of your hosts, Bob Mackey, and I just got Shreked. <laughs> for three and a half hours, I've been uh, Shreked. And hey, it's me, Henry Gilbert. And remember, because you got to have friends. We now we got to pay somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Bed Midler, she's got to get it. Uh, but yes, welcome to our free preview of our monthly What a Cartoon Movie podcast. This one, we didn't put it to a poll. The only poll was yes or no, Shrek for its 20th anniversary. And you said yes to uh, by a two to one margin. Yes, it was overwhelming. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we talk about the 2001 DreamWorks film Shrek, which uh, while maybe not most people's favorite animated film, is... For better and worse, one of the most important animated films that ever mm. was made and set the tone for this millennia's animated feature films, at least those produced in the United States. And, uh, and there's a lot to learn from watching for or this film, for sure. And, and we learned a lot. We did. In this free preview, you'll hear a bit of the history of Shrek, but if you want to hear the whole thing, including our entire breakdown of the movie, over uh, almost four hours, I think, right? Mm, at this yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. You'll have to go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Sign up there at the $10 level. You'll get to hear the rest of this podcast, but also every other episode of What a Cartoon Movie we've done that over two years worth of podcasts and each of those podcasts is about three to five hours long our longest one was end of evangelion which we did at the end of december of 2020 yes yeah you have over 120 hours of fun podcasts to listen to if you like hearing us kind of trash some films for a change i think you'll like this one of shrek and also our one from last month ducktales the movie and also we celebrate lots of films like whisper of the heart Kiki's Delivery Service, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and a ton and ton more. Mm -hmm. We are cl getting close. I'd say we're at our two and a half year mark now of doing the What a Cartoon movie. So uh, I'd put it at over 120 hours of exclusive podcast you get. And that's in addition, if you signed up at that, you'd get all of that $5 stuff that we do. You know, if you're a $5 patron, you get our monthly Talking Futurama podcast. Right now you get our mini series for Talking of the Hill, plus all of the other previous mini series. It's a huge trove of content you get if you sign up at the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. So now let's head over to Duloc and make sure to wash our faces in this podcast. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on. What possibly could have caused Shrek to enter our lives? Well, listeners, you know in these history segments, I usually focus on the director or like a key creative figure on it. And while there are several great directors on this, there is, there's one auteur of Shrek. <laughs> it is executive producer Jeffrey Katzenberg. Oh, is he okay? We are we are post <laughs> the death of Quibi. Uh, I think he's he's gone into a cave for the last like six months after everybody once they shut down Quibi. Jeffrey Katzenberg didn't have to do any more interviews, so he's like, I'm going away now. <laughs> I think we're a year after the launch of Quibi, officially, because it was uh, launching alongside the pandemic. So yeah. it, actually, it's April 6th, so <laughs> oh. by the time you hear this, that will be in the past. Wow, another great anniversary, yeah. The thing about Quibi mastermind Jeffrey Katzenberg is that uh, from 
doing research on his professional history on all these i read disney war i read multiple articles that came out of the fall of quibi that were like jeffrey katzenberg actually has been like this forever and it really is true quibi was just his biggest failure in part because he just didn't have enough people to lift his ass up out of the gutter and also <laughs> he's 20 years older than he was when he had a success so he's even more out of touch and clueless but he is such a ambitious asshole that he would never listen to anyone telling him like you don't know what's popular anymore jeffrey's like fuck you fuck all of you <laughs> uh and well jeffrey katzenberg he'd even say himself like yeah i'm a napoleon like that's me and yeah he's, he's also he's if not a billionaire very close to it and jeffrey katzenberg doesn't need to do any of this but he wants to work 18 hour days forever that's what's wrong with all these people like mark zuckerberg and elon musk and jeff bezos they go into work every day even though they're billionaires because they're all psycho and that's how yeah. they made their money katzenberg is such a psycho because he is like in his late 60s now and he could have retired 10 years ago he got another giant payday 400 million dollars in addition to already being half a billionaire and he still is like well it's time to start a new thing time for quibi <laughs> but I've, i'm still with it but yes before quibi from 1984 to 2015 jeffrey katzenberg was one of the most important figures in united states feature animation and i would say global animation in general uh, we've touched on him quite a bit in our podcast about well, almost everything, but on the movies, you'll hear a lot about him in Black Cauldron, Great Mouse Detective, DuckTales, Aladdin 1 and 2, Goofy Movie, and Toy Story, and Nightmare Before Christmas, and the Wallace and Grumman movie. I think if you put all those clips together, you will have an entire What a Cartoon Movie podcast. 100%, yeah. just That's The five-hour Cats and Cast. <laughs> uh, cat, the Cats and Cast, man. We could fill a whole year of weekly podcast about things where he's just credited as executive producer. Two years, honestly. I would say out of all movies that Jeffrey Katzenberg takes ownership of, I would say Shrek is his crown jewel mm -hmm. as a creative executive on these things. I also want to say if you want a more in-depth version of some of the stuff I'm telling you, definitely I would check out the books Disney War and The Men Who Would Be King. Those are both really great, very listenable audiobooks that your eyes will glaze over a bit when you have to hear a bunch of business bullshit. Or you'll hear stories about people who have since been canceled and that <laughs> might upset you hearing about them of just like, oh, right, Harvey Weinstein has to come up in this story, doesn't he? Or David, uh, or the very normal David Geffen. There's nothing weird about him at all. At least as of this recording. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Jeffrey Katzenberg, born to the upper class son of a New York stockbroker. Uh, yes. Yeah. He's He wasn't born as rich as Michael Eisner. Michael Eisner is a rich boy too. But also, they are old money. They are guys who are like, yeah. you know, 1950s rich, not 2000s rich. Uh, but he was an incredibly ambitious troublemaker. Most people target him as that. A college dropout bouncing from job to job, trying to get in with the most well-connected people in New York, whether it was in the restaurant industry or in politics. By the mid-70s, though, he's like, I got to go to Hollywood. That's where it's really at. And so he becomes like an assistant to top Hollywood producers, slowly working his way up. And those producers end up liking him because he would do anything. He really was <laughs> He's like a vicious prick. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. So Katzenberg, the, the myth is that Jeffrey Katzenberg got to start in the Paramount mail room and through dogged determination and prickishness, he worked his way up to be an assistant.
assistant for Barry Diller. Oh my god. That's why the system no longer functions like that because now all your mailroom guys are like outsourced <laughs> contractors who don't actually work for the company so there's no way anyone could work their way from the mailroom anymore. That's right. All of this outsourcing you can't even get like homegrown talent anymore as crazy as Jeffrey Katzenberg is. And Barry Diller is a weird old man. It's time for my theory again but it, it has only been more reinforced since then. If you look at Barry Diller next to Jeffrey Katzenberg, I think you will see what I see, which is Mr. Burns and uh, Smithers and Waylon Smithers. That's what I see. And at Paramount, before he came to Disney, Katzenberg and Diller worked a ton with Jim Brooks on Terms of Endearment, and they know them well. I definitely, I feel like there is some credulity to that. Well, and also, like, it kind of is a... Jeffrey Katzenberg is a straight man, married to a woman, has kids, not saying anything, but he was an assistant and a beloved assistant of very powerful gay men, Barry Diller and David Geffen. Mm. Both befriended him and took a liking to him in the 70s because they're like, this guy gets shit done. And of course, as I said, David Geffen is a very normal guy who you could never say anything weird about him. Anyway, uh, by the late 70s at Paramount, there was a new boss who was moving up the ranks. Michael, hello, Eisner. And he gave Katzenberg some of his first film jobs producing on movies. One of Jeffrey Katzenberg's first films he produced on was Star Trek The Motion Picture. Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, and he said it was hell for everyone involved. And it turned Jeffrey Katzenberg into one of the favored hatchet men in the paramount industry like he kept the cogs moving he'd make the tough decisions he'd say this movie sucks fuck you <laughs> there's a story of katzenberg being one of the people who told jim brooks like hey you can't go a million over budget with terms of endearment if you need another million get it from somebody else you asshole and uh brooks was really pissed about mm. that but apparently they're all friends now but you're like of course you are you're all yeah very they're all rich they're all yeah. rich so 1983, Paramount has been doing great with films like Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T. and many more. Katzenberg is starting to make headlines alongside Michael Eisner. That's where Katzenberg is called the Golden Retriever of those guys, <laughs> which is a name he hates to this day. Sounds very flattering. Yes, yeah. They were, You're a like, dog. Uh, he goes, uh, I think he should feel happy that he was given the name of, like, not a tiny dog, like, not a pug. Yeah. He's, he's not a tall man. <laughs> <laughs> So, 1984, Paramount gets a new owner. That owner hates Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg. They're already eyeing the exit, and they think they were going to get Barry Diller's job, or Eisner thought he's going to get Barry Diller's job, and he moves up Katzenberg with him. That's not going to happen, but already the embattled Disney company is reaching out to Eisner and wants to hire him, and Eisner's going to take Jeffrey Katzenberg with him. But Katzenberg will not be number two to Eisner, He'll be number three. Frank Wells mm. will be the president of the company. Until his mysterious accident. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <a>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I got to say, that's kind of suspicious. I mean, it happened in a helicopter. Uh, never get in a helicopter. Yeah, boy. You know, uh, you're giving me Epstein brain here, Bob. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. It's like if someone invites you onto a boat, don't do it. Oh, yes. Yeah. Just me and you on a private fishing trip. It'll be fun. <laughs> so, yes, Katzenberg was given several jobs at the Disney studio in 84. The main one, though, was to rehabilitate the broken animated features division where he would team up with Roy E. Disney. Talked a ton about that on Black Cauldron. He took all of these beleaguered Burbank animators who thought they were going to be shut down and that Katzenberg was going to shut them down. 
And Katzenberg said very quickly he took a shine to feature animation. I think I think most biographers say that Katzenberg saw it as like, this is a fiefdom I can control and I can have so much more control over it than I do with all these live action people. I can just treat animators poorly. And who are they? They, they don't matter. Like <laughs> you can only yell at a famous actor so much, you know? Uh, and so Katzenberg became this would-be Napoleon figure who knew little of art. Everybody made fun of him as a Philistine who drank Diet Coke every, like, eight times a day, overcompensated perhaps for a small dick, <laughs> uh, and just disrespecting lower creative people. But he would say, and I kind of have to agree, it's like, well, if you look at Black Cauldron, compared to what was finished by the end of the 80s, he made better movies. Yeah, again, yeah. check out our podcast on the Black Cauldron. It, it's rotten. So they do Black Cauldron, they do Great Mouse Detective. Uh, those start to ramp up. 1988, those when really the first true Katzenberg Eisner films can come out. That's Roger Rabbit and Oliver and Company. Mm. I don't love Oliver and Company, but I have to say, statistically, it made way more than Black Cauldron and Great Mouse Detective combined. And and it was star studded. <laughs> star studded. And same with Roger Rabbit, though. Yes, Oliver and Company had the real Katzenberg stamp, which was famous voices, Billy Joel, Cheech Marin, Bat Midler. You know what? I'm surprised they didn't keep doing that with the Disney movies. That was yeah. the outlier for a long time. Yeah, it's weird. They they did all these star stuff, and I think maybe they felt it didn't work as well for them as they thought it would. It was a pattern he'd finally figure out on Shrek. Like that's because uh, after that, they would have famous people in it, including one very famous guy who was the selling point of Aladdin, which we talked about that. But they didn't really cast like every role as a famous person. So, yes, very successful 1989 with directors Musker and Clements, songwriter Howard Ashman. Katzenberg begins the Disney renaissance with The Little Mermaid, like an undeniable hit huge critical reaction everybody's like disney's back this is the greatest and for katzenberg uh, give or take a ducktales or a rescuers down under <laughs> it was success after success after success beauty of the beast aladdin nightmare before christmas lion king i'm sure those lesser movies made a ton of money on vhs oh god yes yeah well and we talked about it on return of jafar but katzenberg also discovered like the direct-to-video or well honestly he was just copying warner's success yeah. with tiny tunes but he made it so Disney would do direct-to-video stuff that was also making them a shitload of money. And as we mentioned in our Toy Story podcast, Katzenberg was one of the people instrumental in making the multi-picture deal to get mm. Pixar to make a CGI movie at Disney. And as you mentioned on that, Katzenberg's notes were like, be a little meaner. And yeah. Have like, and also it does have famous people in it too. Oh, like, it's like yeah. every role is a famous person in that movie. Yeah. So you can see the Shrek template there. And also it's where Katzenberg can see that like, oh, CGI films might be the future of animation. He's learning a lot of lessons. But Katzenberg is also feeling increasingly stifled. For one, doesn't like Roy e. Disney, and Roy e. Disney sure doesn't like him. <laughs> they both are feeling the other takes way too much credit for everything they do. Eisner is also getting pretty sick of Katzenberg. They both sound like assholes, to be honest, in most of the stories I've read. Now, there are two Roy Disneys. Is this the nephew of Walt? Yes, yeah, okay. the nephew of Walt. Yeah. yeah, who everybody thought, like, ah, it's just the dumb nephew, but he sounded like he wasn't a bad leader, and he did respect the animators at the very least. Uh, so all that came to a head in a truly tumultuous 1994. Mm. The start of the year, Katzenberg's still number three. Frank Wells is president. 
in April, Frank Wells dies in that helicopter accident. Katzenberg was a little too eager for Eisner's taste that <laughs> right after Wells died, Katzenberg is making very clear overtures of like, well, and of course you're going to make me president. I'm ready to take it over, boss. And Eisner's like, this guy just died. Fuck you. <laughs> Show some respect. And so Eisner instead says, you know what? No one's president. I'm also president. I'm taking that. Katzenberg, you're staying where you are. At the same time, over the summer of 94, Katzenberg is taking center stage and promoting Lion King. He's like, oh, well, Lion King's my movie, and it's actually a movie about me and how, <laughs> how I grew up and how my dad and all this stuff. Really? Okay. Yeah. They frame that as the breaking point in the Waking Sleeping Beauty thing. They show all these crazy videos of Katzenberg on the press tours for Lion King of, like, him posing with real lions and just all these interviews about That's how, right. like, Lion King's mine. It's, uh, you know so, what? <laughs> yeah. I had a great 1994. He should have played more Final Fantasy VI and Super Metroid. Just chilled out uh, a bit. Uh, he should have, yeah. Well, Donkey Kong 94, <laughs> play some of that. Donkey well, Kong Country, sure. Well, Katzenberg can't chill out. Like, no, he, no. He makes people have morning meetings on a Sunday. Oh. Like, that's what that's... And in person in 1993, like, that's when he wanted them. There's another great story in Waking Sleeping Beauty that is Katzenberg. He would hold back on spending things. He'd be like, well, uh, we can't put spend money on that. We're wasting too much money on this. But the guys tell the story of, like, for Roger Rabbit, they were flown from Burbank to England. England where yes. he was and told stop wasting money fly back <laughs> yes buy some souvenirs for the kids so by October well actually by August Eisner just tells Katzenberg he's done there he's like resign or I'm gonna fire you Katzenberg says I'll resign if you give me my deal that I get an excellent percentage of Disney movies Eisner thinks it isn't in writing Ultimately, in a lawsuit, it will be proven it was in writing. <laughs> and what would have been, I think, $50 million, Katzenberg is ultimately paid $250 million by Disney in 97 Christ. Uh, for being fired before. Yeah, that would have made three big <laughs> budget movies back then. And that wasn't even the biggest check Eisner signed to an executive he fired without cause. Like, it's Eisner was bad at his job in many ways. I know we all want to love Eisner now, and he's he's more exciting than Bob Iger. I'll give him that. He's but. the lesser of two evils. <laughs> so, Katzenberg is out of Disney, and this is an important thing you need to know. It is not hyperbole to say that Jeffrey Katzenberg is driven mainly by ire and rage <laughs> and spite. Well, and so are we. <laughs> yes. I That's can't. how you succeed. <laughs> and and his spite and rage was at Michael Eisner and the Disney company he ran, and he was going to prove via vengeance that he could run a better place than Disney and beat them at their own game. And he had some very rich friends who were going to help him with that. And so October 12th, 1994, Katzenberg, alongside Steven Spielberg and David Geffen, would launch a brand new studio, which in January would get him a name, DreamWorks SKG. S for Spielberg, K for Katzenberg, G for Geffen. You know what? As a little kid, like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, I was very excited for DreamWorks because I loved all the Geffen uh, albums that oh, came yeah. out with the Geffen oh, yeah. logo on them. Some of my favorites from that era had the Geffen logo. Of course, I love Steven Spielberg and Katzenberg. I associated with all the Disney movies I like. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, the th these are going to be the best possible forms of entertainment coming out of this group. Their PR rollout for it was so tremendous, too. And they're like, I watched an interview with Katzenberg from five years ago, and he was still saying... We launched a company that was the first new studio in 65 years. They had the PR rollout perfect for it. And also, I found multiple old articles that had the classic Katzenberg Quibi quote. Oh, jeez. 
anytime you tell him that Quibi's dumb and it's like, why do people watch this over YouTube? He'd say, that's like comparing apples and submarines. Jesus. Zingnam again, (laughs) Jeffrey. Uh, He's been saying that for 30 years at least on the record. But but yes, Katzenberg, Spielberg, Geffen, along with $800 million from Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen and a Korean company called the CJ Group. They dumped a bunch into it. They're like, shit, like that was a lot of money in 1995. I believe it was 2 billion, almost 2 billion that Quibi got. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. And so one thing Katzenberg was quick to find out was that despite being an equal partner in it, Spielberg and Geffen made it clear that he would not be in charge of live action films, which pissed off Katzenberg. He would instead, though, be in charge of DreamWorks Animation. And he's like, you know what? I can prove I'm the best. I can replicate my success at Disney. And this time, Michael Eisner and Roy won't be holding me back. (laughs) So DreamWorks Animation actually starts out faster than I thought because they didn't have to build an entirely new studio because Steven Spielberg had Amblimation and London that was already starting to get moved over to LA and then when they launched DreamWorks they're like you know what Amblimation just is DreamWorks animation. So that was uh, Roger Rabbit and then We're Back a Dinosaur Story. We're Back and one more thing. Balto. Okay Balto. Balto. And the second Fievel movie. Oh Fievel goes west. Yeah it was after his blue breakup he's like well I still own Fievel so Amblimation is going to do Fievel Goes West and the Fievel TV show as Oof. well. All part of Universal, which Universal was longtime friends with DreamWorks. It's why you go to the DreamWorks Theater to see 3D movies at Universal Orlando and Hollywood. So yes, they were going to start out though with a 2D animation team to make films like he'd been doing. Like really Katzenberg's first thing was like, I need to beat the Lion King. And he was also <laughs> working on Pocahontas and you know, the story on Pocahontas is like that was the one they thought would win the Oscar. Oscar and it's very serious he hires away as many Disney talents as he can with big money there's lots of people who talked up that after DreamWorks animation launched everybody got a raise whether you left Disney or not because if you stayed at Disney they were going to give you a raise to stay and you were getting big money bonuses Hmm. so at the very least the usually underappreciated animators like got big money deals and if you were a big name guy like glenn Keane, you got huge money well he deserves uh, it yeah and and same with james baxter kathy altieri brenda chapman richard chavez lorna cook the four biggest names they got at the start for launching it and so they're gonna work on a big biblical epic the kind that disney would never touch because it might offend people with its religious storyline the prince of egypt which is you know the ten commandments it's their version of it yeah yeah and it's it's good i'm it's sure it's right. it's good I, I have no interest in it and maybe i'll watch it one day but i went to catholic school and i after uh <laughs> after that was over i was just done with god i don't need to hear about it anymore i understand the commandments i saw them every day let's move on with our lives no burning bushes for you no but, no but i think it's some of the best if you just want to look up videos of like character acting in it it's some peak animation there or like fire like drawn fire on the screen has rarely looked better than it does in prince of egypt but as a film itself it's kind of boring and they thought they'd out disney disney with a 1998 planned release date wouldn't work out and it even had an elton john song right yep they got got elton john back again too they're like yeah we can do it all like i'm sure they would have hired musker and clements if they could have but they (laughs) couldn't like they were tamped down at disney and of course getting part of amblimation opened a door because steven spielberg one of his producers named john h williams not the composer 
John H. Williams, they got the rights to a 1990 kids book by William Stieg, who uh, already was in his 80s at that point. Hmm. And he he was a creator of Dr. DeSoto, if you read those books as a kid. No, what were those? Uh, they were about the mouse dentist. Hmm. Do you remember that? Doesn't I, ring I a bell remember for me. those. Well, by 1990, me and you were eight. We would have been the audience for this book, but my parents never got me a book called Shrek with no. an exclamation point. I think I was reading Arthur. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was much more of an Arthur kid. Yeah. So uh, that book was the story of a 32 pages long, <laughs> a parody of fairy tales about a nasty ogre who shoots laser beams from his eyes as well. That's much cooler. He befriends a talking donkey for like two pages. And ultimately, in the end, when he meets his fairy tale princess, it's a big, ugly ogre princess. They have a big, ugly wedding. And it's a fun, silly little book, you know. And, and Shrek also, the name comes from a Stieg because he was the son of Jewish socialists who had moved to mm. America and I believe I've read the Trek is Yiddish for monster okay cool I didn't know that so after the 1995 success of Toy Story Katzenberg knew he couldn't just have 2d films he needed cgi films as well and there were only so many people who can make those in 1995 especially well only pixar had made a feature-length film nobody else could really even make like a 30-minute film very few could and one of those was the second biggest cgi place in the bay area pacific data images they were at the cutting edge of CGI character animation. They had existed since 1980. They were one of the top groups who had done famous stuff already. They'd worked on Waldo C. Graphics for Jim Henson. Oh, that guy. Like, yeah, <laughs> nobody likes him, but he was one of the last original Muppets created by Jim Henson. They also, if you were a kid of the 90s, you watched Spellbound as Michael Jackson morphed from character to character hmm. at the end of black and white video. That is PDI. And of course, as Simpsons fans in 1995, we all watched the Tim Johnson directed segment of Homer Cubed. Which they did for free. Yes, yeah. An incredible calling card for them. Honestly, looking at the timeline, I think Homer Cubed is why DreamWorks wanted to work with PDI. Oh, me too. Yeah. They could have also seen the work they did on commercials for the Pillsbury Doughboy, but I have a feeling it was probably Homer. So out of all that buzz, DreamWorks decides we're going to partner with this company. By the spring of 1996, DreamWorks Animation buys a 40% stake in Pacific Data Images. I'll call them PDI from now on. And they were going to make a film slated for 1999. Mm. PDI had been wanting to do a feature film for the longest time. They just never had the money for it. And also, they were going to help launch the fledgling DreamWorks Interactive Gaming Division, which... I learned a very funny story about that, that like Steven Spielberg for a time, he thought of an idea for a game that basically sounds like The Sims. He briefly hired Nora Ephron to write a script for it. Jesus. And apparently after like a month, she realized like, you got to write how much for a video game? I'm out of here. That label did exist. I remember there being a Lost World game and yeah. uh, the secret ending is Jeff Goldblum clearly on the set of the Lost World being filmed <laughs> against his will saying, uh, go outside, go outside, get some sun. That's right. Oh my God. I forgot that they also almost created Medal of Honor, but then they sold it to EA. Like Medal mm. of Honor was supposed to be like saving Private Ryan the game. And then it turned into EA's like, we want it to be a brand we own. So DreamWorks Interactive did lead to Medal of Honor, which led to Cult of Duty. It has a very big footprint in the world of video games. So this is a whole podcast on its own, <laughs> but PDI's first assignment was 
ants, which Jeffrey Katzenberg says he had had that pitch way before he ever met Pixar and that he had been thinking <laughs> of Disney of making a film called Army Ants, didn't get it approved, and so now he's finally making his ants film. He was dreaming of getting the dialogue, you to ant, on the oh, screen. Oh, God. <laughs> or talking about drinking out of an animal's anus. Or <laughs> yeah, so... It's Woody Allen's least <laughs> offensive movie. It, <laughs> because you don't have to see him. That's true, yeah. Uh, so, Jeffrey Katzenberg, that's his story. The story that John Lasseter and Andrew Stanton say. Boy, I'm saying a lot of bad names here. But the guys who worked on Bugs Life... They said they directly told Jeffrey Katzenberg more than once their plans to make an oh, ant movie. That famous meeting where they outlined the next 10 years of Pixar movies. And they also tell a story that not only after that meeting, but like that in 95, Lasseter and Stanton were in LA doing post-production on Toy Story and they just happened to meet Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's like, hey, so what you guys working on? <laughs> and he told him about Bugs Life, and then they find out PDI is making ants. Then Jeffrey Katzenberg gets pissed off seeing that Bugs Life is going to premiere within a month of Prince of Egypt. And he's like, hey, don't please don't do that. I want Prince of Egypt to be big. And like Michael Eisner is going to listen to Jeffrey Katzenberg <laughs> saying, please, they're still in a lawsuit. So instead, out of more spite, Katzenberg moves up the release of ants to october 1998 somehow pdi completes it in time and so they get in theaters a month before bugs life though they don't earn more money than bugs life you know bugs life is just fine people trash it all the time <laughs> i honestly don't know why they didn't make bugs life university or whatever spinoff they could have made out of it yeah. because it, it's fine and give dave fully more work i say yeah it's too bad you know those poor bugs they got their bugs life torn down a couple oh. years ago to make room for avengers campus like there's no sign of the bugs anymore. I guess maybe you'll see a look of like Flick the Ant. If you really search for him at Pixar Pier in Disneyland. But yes, Ants, even less successful. Honestly, a giant failure. <laughs> <laughs> and it sucks. Also, one has Kevin Spacey, one has Woody Allen there. They're both hard Pick to your watch. poison. But, but at least Kevin Spacey's <laughs> the villain who dies. Yes. You're yeah. guaranteed that. Instead, you're supposed to be rooting for Woody Allen to get with Sharon Stone oh. at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, it's, but also. She's way too old for him. <laughs> and you can see it was the PDI style, too. Oh, God. Sorry. I just. Uh, that Sharon. The too old joke caught up with me there. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, but no, the uh, but it did show PDI style. Like, well, here's a famous actor. Can you make this CGI person kind of look like him? And also, how good are you at making, you know, green areas and like naturalistic backgrounds? Like PDI definitely felt they were better at doing humans and leaves and stuff than Pixar was. I think for a time, occasionally you could see that they did get ahead of them tech wise, though I never felt a PDI film look better than a Pixar mm -mm. film. So unfortunately for PDI, Ants kind of... Who knows how successful it could have been if it wasn't rushed to theaters just to fuck with Bugs Life. But it was hardly the last time a film similar to a Pixar <laughs> film would be released by DreamWorks in the same year. So what happened with Shrek before Pacific Data Images were handed it? Well, Katzenberg liked the idea, but he didn't want it to be their main deal. He bought the film for DreamWorks Animation in 1995, but he's like, well, this is our small budget film, like $20 million dollars. And he knew just the guys to hand it to. A bunch of recent college graduates who had a tiny CGI company 
called Propeller Heads, hmm. which was run by Jeffrey Abrams, who now goes by J.J. Abrams. What? Really? Yes. Okay. Yep. And Rob Letterman, who would go on to direct Shark Tale and Detective Pikachu. Hmm. So, And uh, they had impressed people because in 93 or 94, they did a student film that was like the Silver Surfer, and it, which basically was a Pepsi Man commercial. It's like Silver Surfer land in a normal street and a si- shiny Silver Man's walking around. Hmm. And so Katzenberg, after seeing that, was like, you guys could do like motion capture and draw some funny stuff with these characters. And he very much was like, well, this is going to be a fractured fairy tale like out of uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. That was the energy they were going for from day one on the propeller heads version of it. And of course, they knew just the famous person that they wanted to be Shrek. Chris Farley. Oh, boy. I wish someone could have just locked him up in 1997 and cleaned him up. I mean, we read the Chris Farley story. It's an yeah. amazing... Uh, the Chris Farley show. show. Yes. I I think Chris Farley story is the name of the uh, documentary, but... Oh, there's a documentary. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, it's really... Or it might be called show too. But anyway, that book is so sad because like two years before he died, he did get cleaned up. And yeah. then he fell off the wagon even harder. But in 1995, hey, happy times for Chris Farley. And, and, and That was the year of Tommy Boy. <laughs> I like Tommy Boy. The original screenwriters of Shrek, Ted Elliott and Terry Rosio, you talked about in the Aladdin one, is like, oh yeah, the famous <laughs> screenplay guys, they the Katzenberg loved. It was like, no, these are real writers, guys. <laughs> All their scripts from cartoons seem to get thrown out and heavily rewritten by actual cartoon writers. They originally did see Shrek and Donkey as, at least this is how David Spade tells the story, as a Chris Farley-David Spade combo. Donkey would be David Spade and Chris Farley would be Shrek. And when you see the scenes of Shrek and Donkey arguing with each other, you're like, that could make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I can that. hear their voices. Yeah. Well, especially if you're Jeffrey Katzenberg, who's just like, I just saw Tommy Boy. Could we do a cartoon thing of that? Let's just do that. Unfortunately, David Spade got trumped by the guy who he had just made fun of as a falling star, Eddie Murphy. Oh. By 1996, as this team is working on Shrek, Eddie Murphy was the biggest box office star in the world. He just had Nutty Professor. It was only going to get bigger for him. And Eddie Murphy's big success in theatrical was in part thanks to Katzenberg. Katzenberg put him in 48 hours. He had produced Trading Places and Beverly Hills Cop before he left Paramount. Murphy has a long time friendship with Katzenberg still to this day like a few years ago and Murphy won some lifetime achievement award Katzenberg was the one who presented it so they're still bros those guys Hmm. and it probably was not a coincidence that in 1996 Eddie Murphy was almost certainly already recording his voice audio for Disney's Mulan and the character of Mushu oh for sure yeah I mean, uh, the film came out in 98, so I think Murphy might have been cast before Mulan came out, but he definitely wasn't cast before he signed the deal to do Mulan. And I mean, knowing Katzenberg, you'd think he'd even have told him, like, could you quit Mulan and just do this? But Mushu and Donkey, the same character, basically. I bet whenever Eddie Murphy is cast in something animated, Phil Lamar does a little fist pump because he, <laughs> he gets to do all of the replacement dialogue for TV shows yes. and toys and theme park uh. appearances. He's like, yes. <laughs> I can wheel out my Murphy again. I know. You're right. Yeah, he has made Phil Lamar so rich just being being TV donkey and Walmart commercial donkey. <laughs> so the real struggle was in 1996. They were doing storyboards. The CGI was really having trouble coming together. The story behind the scenes was, quote, if you failed on Prince of Egypt, you were sent to the dungeons to work on Shrek. Uh-huh. And being sent to work on Shrek was called being Shreked. 
like is like oh god i got shreked i'm working on shrek like it was just seen as like this no-go like it was just not going well no script would get locked down katzenberg still believed in it over time the character you can see some early character designs like a little more like chris farley and a little more like they <laughs> they gave him more of chris farley's nose they gave him hair which shrek does not have in the original book but they they want to look more like chris farley with little to show after more than a year the animators have a quick demo reel of test footage it was one minute of it i couldn't find it out there anywhere but you can find pictures of what their shrek looked like it's hideous and they said that unlike it, the final version <laughs> oh yes no it'll make you appreciate real shrek more if you see original shrek uh i could find online a storyboard of it and it's like shrek strangles a guy and he turns purple like out of a looney tunes cartoon and katzenberg hated 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 it hmm fired the propeller heads they're like you guys but it also didn't help too that the propeller heads were already starting to get hired for other stuff jj abrams had sold a couple scripts and he's like what am i working on this shrek shit for <laughs> like i'm a well-connected like son of hollywood katzenberg kills that version of it brings on new writers to start back over that's joe stillman of king of the hill and beams yeah. and butthead to america and adventures of pete and pete that's right right and roger shulman who had just worked on balto for emblemation and alf he was an alphabet so they're reworking the script and not only that but briefly nightmare before christmas director henry Selick was brought onto it and it sounded like he did not have a good time mm. and, and was not very long the director of it millions of dollars later the production was briefly shut down by late 1996. Seemingly, it was all ogre. Oh. Even though they had all this Chris Farley stuff. So 97, they start it back up. They're working on it some more. They record more stuff with Chris Farley. They have a completed-ish storyboard that is not that close to the film, but close enough that you can see, oh, they could make a film with this. And Chris Farley has recorded 85% of his dialogue. But then a week before Christmas of 1997, oh. Chris Farley passes away from a mix of drug overdose and heart disease. 33 oh, 33 awful just it's tragic every time i say it i god the thing now he wouldn't even be 60 like he'd be i mean to imagine chris farley living to 50 it, well, well it, i can't imagine a 50 year old chris farley what that would even look like i know it's like that's not the life he lived it was only known as like oh yeah chris farley he had played shrek but that was just like a story there was never any footage until 2015 someone got two minutes of the footage released in online so here is a scene that is pretty close to what is in the final movie you can hear how chris farley would have played it oh this is another one of those onion things no this is one of those drop it and leave me alone things well why don't you want to talk about it why do you want to talk about it? Why are you answering the question with a question? Why are you asking questions I don't want to answer? Why are you blocking? I'm not blocking. Then why do you have problems expressing your wants? I don't. I want you to shut up. See? No problem. You're just displacing your anger. Believe me, it's properly placed. You're really mad at whoever did this to you. No one did anything to me. Yes, yes, yes. Someone hurt you so bad. Someone hurt you many years ago. Leave my parents out of this! Breakthrough! 
<laughs> his parents were part of the script originally too like the shrek's shrek's parents were important before but yeah. I, I might have liked the movie more with chris farley i feel that this is going to sound terrible but i feel that mike myers is like an empty human being that's why he's so good at playing characters because he has nothing to him a lot of comedians are like that a lot of actors are like that but i think chris farley doesn't do like a lot of voices he plays one kind of character and there's a lot of pain in his in his life and there's a lot of he's got a lot of demons so i feel like that portrayal has a lot more humanity than the fat bastard impression we get well yeah i think too the mike myers like he buries a lot like if yeah. he, whatever his real feelings are are just buried beneath like eight layers of uh, onion like layers even. <laughs> uh, but like so many layers of self-hatred or just like love of comedy or also like weird sexual and race stuff as well all hmm. mixed in that come out in his films i mean how many times does he make movies about like well then my girlfriend got fucked by a guy oh right <laughs> But you're right, that Chris Farley Shrek is just him. Like, Chris Farley's not playing a character there. Like, that you're feeling the pain of Chris Farley through there. It's yeah. a much more natural performance. Yeah. You're not at the distance of, like, well, I know this is like a Scottish accent that he loves to do in so many characters. And I'm thinking of two other characters that for movies I like. Well, at the same time, and, and also like his SNL characters too. Uh, right, he, he played like the. If it's not Scottish, it's crap. Crap. <laughs> but before Mike Myers came in, at some point after Chris Farley's passing, Nicolas Cage was offered Shrek. He had, uh, would tell this story when he was doing promotion for the Crudes. He's like, yeah, I turned down Shrek, kind of regret it. I did the Crudes to make up for it because I, I was like, oh, I should have been Shrek. He would have been a bad Shrek. Uh, and another thing that came out way later after the film came out was that along with Chris Farley, in the original cast, Fiona was played by Janine Garofalo. Oh, okay. A very different energy than Cameron Diaz would bring to the role. Garofalo was let go. She had funny interviews later saying just like, yeah, I was let go, never said why, but it's not like that became like a big movie or anything. You <laughs> oh, know? Poor Janine, uh, but then she had Ratatouille fame. Yes, after yeah. That. And, and plus she was on what, Criminal Minds or a thing like that. Like she's doing fine, but I could see... If I'm Janine Garofalo and see how Cameron Diaz got paid $10 million for Shrek 2. For her flat performance. <laughs> eh, look, Cameron Diaz, she's a good actress. She's fine. I she's like fine. Her. Also, apparently she's like retired from acting now. She hasn't been in a movie in like five or six years now. That's the way to do it. Is it? she one of the bad moms? No, that was Christina Applegate. Okay. She, was, oh, she could have been a bad mom. She was a bad teacher. Oh, she was, she was the, bad teacher. Yes, Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot the that the other SEO movie. Uh, and also sex tape. She was in the sex okay. tape where she's like, the sex tape is in the cloud. Oh. Uh, but when she was hired to play Fiona, uh, she was hot off the heels of there's something about Mary and my best friend's wedding. Mm -hmm. Like Cameron Diaz was the it girl. By the time this had come out, she'd also had her first like big starring, big, big starring role in Charlie's Angels. Right. Too. And she was in another movie with another green guy, The Mask. That's right. Yeah, that was her first movie. She she loves green men. With her old face. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, really bitchy today. I'm sorry. Uh, but so that's where Shrek, Shrek is such a nasty, mean movie yeah. that it puts us in this way. But, but so they still don't really know what they're going to do with Shrek. They then decide, you know what? PDI is done with ants. Let's send it up to them. So while there was a lot of boarding and stuff being done in Los Angeles, it would get sent up to the Bay Area to work on a PDI. And folks said that every single frame of Shrek, Katzenberg is very involved in. He approved everything. <laughs> 
But also, a thing that really helped PDI was they are up here in the Bay Area and Katzenberg lives in LA. And while he could fly up once a week, you got four whole work days a week where you didn't have Jeffrey Katzenberg yelling at you. What's the benefit of working outside of LA? Yeah, you can better believe that's why eventually PDI got shut down. But that's uh, that's farther off. <laughs> so, so following Farley's passing, what was the biggest film of 1997 in comedy? Of course, it was Austin Powers' Man of Mystery. Mike International Mike, Man of Mystery. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no one thinks about that subtitle. Uh, yeah, you just call it the Austin Powers. Mike Myers, huge, huge, huge comedy guy by then. And at first, he wasn't interested. And I think part of it was, he, he would say part of it was, he felt bad that his friend Chris Farley was dead and didn't want to replace his voice mm. acting. And I think they... For a time, they even floated the idea of like, we could just get like Kevin Farley to do the remaining lines we need. It's an 85% done film. But I think Katzenberg, in a smart business strategy, realized if this actually succeeds, well, are we just going to have Kevin Farley in every movie after that? Like, we need a person who can be in more movies and sequels and everything if it's a success. So they went hard for Mike Myers. Mike Myers agrees to do it, but he wants his own team to rewrite the film uh. more to his feel. That's why there are so many Mike Myers one-liners in the movie of just like the Mike Myers trick of saying a bad joke and then going like, oh, hey, hey, I'm sorry. Like that, that's there all over the place. I, I guess it's kind of smart for him to have writers like that because it's why uh, Dana Carvey never rose to the Myers level. Exactly. He didn't have that kind of uh, quality control for sure. He, he just wanted to be the turtle man and turtle it up. At the oh, turtle club. This, this was not the year of master of disguise. That would be next year. Yes. Yeah. It was filmed this year. Yes, we, all, we know. all know the story. Yes. The Turtle Club was a <laughs> moment of silence for us all. Uh, so Mike Myers, in his original line readings, did something pretty close to his Ontario accent. I read this was kind of fluctuating. I read other reports that said his voice was more like his Lothar of the Hill people voice from from snl hmm. they were also starting to find a lot more heart for shrek with myers in there like myers there is a usually a little moment of like heart and humanity to his jokesters they bring in there but and they got rid of the parent stuff too hmm. so they then got some co-directors for it katzenberg was a big believer in co-directors on, on most of his early dreamworks animation films for example road to el dorado has i believe five credited co-directors one of them david silverman who got fired after a year from it oh i forgot about that then went to monsters inc on this one the first two co-directors andrew adamson who would stay with the film to the end and kelly ashbury now, Adamson was a New Zealander trained in visual effects. He had worked on Frighteners and Batman Forever. Asbury, meanwhile, was a Disney feature veteran. So the strategy on Shrek in general was we'll get a 2D guy to work with a 3D guy and they can fill in the blanks on each other's discrepancies. Will they get along? <laughs> I actually think they did not get along because <laughs> Kelly Asbury did not stick around. But apparently it was Adamson that story goes that while Katzenberg wanted Shrek to be edgy, Adamson kept pushing it to be edgier and edgier. Like it was Adamson who came up with the, there's a joke where a sheet rises ever so slightly while 
Farquaad is looking at pictures of mm. Fiona in bed, and then he like kind of blushes, and everyone's grossed out. You have to. The joke is he has such a small penis that a boner rising raising the sheets is almost imperceptible. But they still kept it in there. That was Adamson who wanted that. Uh, he also wanted a scene where Welcome to the Jungle would play while uh, Shrek is being chased, and Katzenberg's like, "No, we're not. We're not doing that mm-hmm. one." We will pay Smash Mouth, but not Sons and Roses. <laughs> uh, everybody was shocked how much Adamson was like forceful with Katzenberg. They thought he'd get fired, but I think Katzenberg actually kind of respected how You've got spunk. <laughs> they also had three high-level board artists, who I'll get more into in the, the film when we talk about it, but they really were invested in these board artists who, in Pixar style as well, they're like, you know what? You're so funny at this temp voice. You can be the magic mirror. You can be the three little pigs. And you can be the gingerbread man. And Pinocchio, too, right? Is he oh, and Pinocchio one of those guys? as well, yeah. yeah. They were like Joe Ramp, too. Just like, oh, you're so funny, forget it. Like, so I believe Jimmy Fallon was originally going to be the mirror voice. Ooh. And they're like, you know, this other guy's funny. Get him out of everything. <laughs> he can't do anything without giggling, that guy. Uh, so 1998, Asbury, not enjoying it. They do keep some of his storyboards, but he leaves the director position. He moves over to Spirits, Stallion of the Cimarron, oh. which is like, hey, it's the best drawings of horses you'll ever see. I bet it is. And believe it or not, Bob, Spirit has actually got turned into an incredibly successful Netflix series in the last five years, and they're about to have a, a sequel, theatrical wow. sequel to Spirit in theaters. You know what? While skimming around on Netflix, I think I saw it, but I forgot it was a DreamWorks thing. It's like Skylanders. My husband was like, oh, they Skylanders it, because it's <laughs> like, technically it's a Spirit sequel, but they changed all the parts of it. Um, uh, but yeah, so Asbury, though, would go on to direct Shrek 2, and a whole lot of Shrek shit ripoffs. Like, I believe he is the Nomeo and Juliet director. Oh. So instead, brought in his co-director was somebody who had moved up to, like, head of story, one of their top storyboarders, until she was eventually co-director. And she was, like, one of the first women to, I don't believe the first, but one of the first women credited as a director on a feature-length animated film. That is Vicki Jensen. Uh, she was a Spumco OG. Hmm. She had worked on Mighty Mouse and the original run on Ren and Stimpy. Had left that, I think. Uh, she was like an early visual designer on Ren and Stimpy. A lot of a lot of the look of Ren and Stimpy, okay. some of it can be credited to her. She left that for Fern Gully, and pretty much it stuck in feature from that. So when you see, especially Ren and Stimpy and Fern Gully, this is a woman who knows how to do gross farts and forests, <laughs> which makes her perfect for Shrek. So in a way, Ren and Stimpy inspired Shrek. Okay. <laughs> so Jensen was brought in post-Farley to get a new feel for the character. As Jensen and Adamson would say, they, they kind of split it 50-50 directing, like as in... I take these scenes, you take these scenes, and it'll be a movie in the end. And with Katzenberg overseeing it all. So that's why, too, I'm like, well, this is Katzenberg's movie because it's like multiple directors who just oversee stuff, and he oversees them. Hmm. 